one of the best places I learned how to do this actually is when I worked in construction. So I spent maybe five, six years in construction and I was really embedded in the business. So it's an mm. amazing industry to work in for those that haven't done it. But it's so great to teach you about resource planning and demand because you, you can't build a skyscraper in central London unless you've got a plan. But it's so important to then to understand how does everything run, can, can certain things run in parallel? What skills do you need in order to build the building at that certain phase in time? What teams do you need to bring external? Do you need permanent teams or do you need subcontracted teams or do you need temporary teams? And that taught me and being ingrained in that um, really taught me a lot about understanding the detail of what we're trying to build. Uh, and I think that's the most important thing. But it's so important to then to understand how does everything run? Can, can certain things run in parallel? What skills do you need in order to build the building at that certain phase in time? What teams do you need to bring external? Do you need permanent teams or do you need subcontracted teams or do you need temporary teams? And that taught me and being ingrained in that um, really taught me a lot about understanding the detail of what we're trying to build. Uh, and I think that's the most important thing is your expertise as a recruiter is to say, OK, these things are going to be challenging. This is the sort of uh, ability that we have to deliver within these time frames, but also sitting with the business and un understanding and asking what you think may be a stupid question, but actually isn't, mm. is, OK, so why are we building this team now? What, what's that going to serve and how does that relate to the, what's being built in tech? Don't separate your business partners from your TA team. Don't have this big line of demarcation between the two teams, especially in this process, because you need them. Welcome to Charlotte, founder and CEO of Think Talent, for our latest episode of Scaling So Far. Charlotte, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast today. Um, as a close friend of Seed, super excited to be chatting with you and digging into some uh, some juicy topics. So, to get the ball rolling, um, can you just let us know a bit about yourself? Um, your journey to where you are today, um, yeah, just as a as an icebreaker and to get things moving. Cool, thanks, Matt. Super excited to be here. Um, I'm slightly disappointed it took 20, 20 other episodes before you invited me, but we'll let we'll let that slip. <laughs> so, what can I tell you about me? So, uh, my background, I think, is quite a typical sort of recruitment TA background. Sort of came out of university. Uh, forced to go to university because I had those parents that thought, you know, you couldn't succeed in life unless you got a degree. Um, so I pick, picked a random degree uh, doing English lit, literature. I came out and sort of fell into recruitment and I got a job at Hayes, um, straight out of uni. Um, you know, really great grounding from a training perspective. Learned, learned a lot of that. Did healthcare, global healthcare recruitment with them. Um, then went in-house and did a year at uh, in-house um, NHS. Then moved to international development and healthcare in-house at a more commercial organisation, um, then went into construction, then went into IT, then went into fintech, and that sort of brought me here. So really love working in lots of different industries, um, particularly um, in the talent space, really sort of found my niche in the in the tech and the scale-up space. I think it's a really exciting place to uh, yeah. navigate and a place to live. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that's a little bit about me. Um, I live in Amsterdam with two cats. Uh, yeah, and I'm currently just uh, enjoying the awesome sunshine. Fabulous. Thank you very much. So, a fair to say a ton of experience in a, a kind of a broad set of organisations and kind of finding your home, I think, much like I did in the... Uh, the tech-led um, businesses. Um, probably a lot to draw from um, for this question, but what would you say some of your biggest learnings have been along the way? And yeah, feel free to be as uh, 
as open as you can on this one. <laughs> yeah, cool. It'd be interesting to hear yours as well, because I think this is going to be, this is definitely mm. a fun one, right? So I think one of the things that I learned, and probably I got put in a management role at a relatively young age, I think it was like maybe 24, 23, when I had my mm. first management job. And I reckon I was probably the worst boss you could possibly imagine. So I was that micromanagey, I'll do it because you're not doing it in the way that I want you to do it. Um, and actually, it was probably the best lesson I learned, which is one to hire people. You know, just because people get from A to B in a different magnitude doesn't mean it's any better or any worse. Usually mm. it's better. Um, I think that for me is really, really important uh, and learning to trust people and not to micromanage people. Um, and again, that's something I learned the hard way because I think you go in with, you know, all guns blazing, thinking, right, OK, I'm going to nail this. And actually in doing that, you actually make a complete mess of it. Um, so trust people, don't micromanage people. Um, hire people that are different from you, again, mm-hmm. is another one that's big. I think all too often recruiters are very good at uh, helping other people see that and not so good at doing it themselves. Um, I think when people think of a stereotypical recruiter, a certain type of person does come to mind. Um, and actually, I think the best teams I've worked in is where we've consciously picked people that disagree with me on a lot of things or disagree with the group and have a completely different um, approach or methodology. Uh, you know, introvert versus extroverted. Like I think that can, can create a real richness in the team. And that you know goes for any team. Um, but I think at the heart of all of that, along with the diversity of who you hire is also make sure you can define those intrinsic core values and those things are the same. So like integrity is a massive one for me. Mm. Uh, I have a real genuine problem with people that have uh, issues telling the truth. Um, so for me, that's a massive core, that's a massive core value. So integrity and fairness are big ones for me. So again, as you're building a team, make sure you're testing those core values. People can come from all different walks of life with all different views and diverse ways of thinking. But if their approach and their, their heart is the same. I think you've, you've got a great uh, setup. And then uh, I think lastly, if you disagree, always speak up, but just find a way to deliver the message in the way the person needs to receive it. I think I, you know, again, in my career historically, I didn't say anything and get really wound up and irritated. Uh, and then I went through the phase of just saying it in the way that I would say it, and then potentially upsetting people or not really getting my point across. I'm starting to learn to uh if you've got a if you've got a hard message or you've got something you really need to say and it's important learn the way in which the person best can receive it and yeah, no, thank you very much there are a number of of interesting points there and i think it's true i definitely was maybe still am in some cases um the worst manager in the world um <clears throat> it's not true that great recruiters make great managers as a as a rule i think the same for any any function right same for for engineering right just because you're an awesome engineer yeah doesn't mean you're an awesome engineering leader um but often we're we're quite driven in the profession that we're in so we either want to push ourselves or there's a our managers back then would have said right these people are great at at recruiting they're going to be great managers let's give them a team yeah yeah yeah. and we need some help we need some learning um i wow my biggest learning there's loads um but i guess i'm going to jump on the the point that you made which is around that kind of cultural feedback um and that kind of alignment around a, a set of values or principles or, or sort of common pillars um i think is really 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 important um in in any business in any function right um you can as you say get from a to b in completely different ways but if you have the same ethics eco ethos values base um 
anything is possible. You can vary across everything, but if you're consistent across these themes, yeah, yeah. then teams can achieve awesome stuff. Um, when you're not, for you and for the people in your team, if there's, there's not alignment there, then things aren't going to be successful, right? And being comfortable yeah. that people won't align or don't align um, to those values, I think was one of the biggest things that I've learned, that these, these things that you hold your team dear by or your business dear by, should be an attractor and a detractor um, yeah. to people, right? And I always assumed it was supposed to, well, everyone must want to join this this party in this way. And, and that's not true. Um, and it's supposed to be that way, right? But it took me a yeah. while to, to adjust to that. Yeah, that's so true. And I think the other thing that I always value is having done this is that they've got your back covered, right? Because I think in one way, like, you know, you can train yourself to think laterally, but my go-to instinctive behavior is one route to look at, at X instead of, you know, mm. instead of Y. And, you know, a great example at Molly is, you know, when we built up the TA function in terms of, you know, all the, you know this and everybody listening probably does, all the intricacies of building a high-performing TA function rely so much on that behind the curtain, mm. uh, you know, the, the, the operational, the, the, the machinery. And, you know, I worked with a great... Uh, TA ops and coordination team and because they all thought completely differently to each other every base was covered mm. and they wouldn't need to like ask permission it would just get done and it would just be hey we did this we noticed the gap I plugged it here what do you think and I just feel like oh I hadn't even thought of that that's amazing you know because you have people that think differently otherwise if you you know hired a flow of charlottes it'd be a very noisy um <laughs> probably a lot of stuff will get delivered but you know the mess that would be left in the way because it would be very tidy as other got it done and that's what you know that's I think the beauty of Molly my role at Molly taught me a lot about that actually yeah that's a really important message I think for, for all leaders to to pick up on right that when we're hiring and we're building our teams around us that being united by a set of values is important but that's definitely not the same as us all thinking and doing and yeah. getting it made to be in the in the right way right so Using that um, opportunity to kind of move into the um, your time with Molly, um, scaling the TA function to enable um, a, a number of phases of high growth, right? Following um, different rounds of funding, a pretty big topic and one that's relevant um, as people plan for kind of 2023 and beyond. But I'd love to hear from your perspective and, and your seat of experience. What's your approach to understand that? what recruiting demand is from the business like we've all been there it's chaos <laughs> every conversation you have with someone there's five more roles three more roles here that all that role yeah. stopped there's 15 more over here like yeah how do you kind of cut through all of that and effectively understand that to build the team to to deliver essentially yeah, that's a really great question so and it's definitely one that every role and every company i've been to that's always one of the first uh questions that i ask i think one piece of advice I would give is don't expect it to be 100%, especially mm -hmm. in the environment that you and I work in and you and I navigate. If you're expecting 100%, it's never going to happen and you're going to miss the boats on delivering the 90% there, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the best places I learned how to do this actually is when I worked in construction. So I spent maybe five, six years in construction and I was really embedded in the business. So it's an mm -hmm. amazing industry to work in for those that haven't done it. But it's so great to teach you about resource planning and demand because you, you can't build a skyscraper in central London unless you've got a plan. Yeah. Um, so nothing happened without a plan, right? And so obviously that take, that's taken to the nth extreme. 
Um, but it's so important to them to understand how does everything run, can, can certain things run in parallel? What skills do you need in order to build the building at that certain phase in time? What teams do you need to bring external? Do you need permanent teams or do you need subcontracted teams or do you need temporary teams? And that taught me and being ingrained in that um, really taught me a lot about understanding the detail of what we're trying to build. Uh, and I think that's the most important thing um, is your expertise as a recruiter is to say, OK, these things are going to be challenging. This is the sort of uh, ability that we have to deliver within these timeframes. But also sitting with the business and un understanding and asking what you think may be a stupid question, but actually isn't, mm. is, OK, so why are we building this team now? What, what's that going to serve? And how does that relate to the, what's being built in tech? Because what often happens in scale ups and startups is they all build everything independently of each other. So the commerce team will go off and build the sales team. The tech team will build this over here, um, especially when you're running at the pace that you've got and you've got investors who are expecting a huge amount from you. This isn't specific to Molly, by the way. This is just what I've heard from lots of people. For sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think for me, it's, under, you know, it's asking the right question and saying, OK, so if you build commerce here, what's the pressure going to be in, in terms of tech? And if actually that strategy, if the commercial strategy is this, how is the tech team going to support that? Are we running in the right direction? And how are we going to get? How are we going to pull all this together? And even so far, this is and this is where I again I think in organisations we didn't have this at Molly. We had an amazing relationship with um, our people function and our HR business partners. But again, don't separate your business partners from your TA team. Don't have this build, big line of demarcation between the two teams, especially in this process, because you need them. Um, and for me, it would be about sitting down with the you know the business partner, the the uh, in business lead, and saying, okay, what's the plan? You can Im impact from that perspective. You've got the knowledge of the business partner in terms of knowing that business really intimately in terms of, OK, if we do this, how are we building that? Looking at the org design. Um, it's never just delivering a list, if that makes sense. So that's that's half the job um, because you'll just fall over. You know, we've, you know, you see it time and time again. Um, you know, you get delivered a headcount plan for, uh, you know, the year and it's November and half the roles are in. Q1. Q1. <laughs> so, you know, we've all been there. We've all had that one. We've gone, um. <laughs> and, you know, and that's what's so important is to be part of the process. Don't just be in receipt of a list. Yeah. Really go out and sort of push the door down slightly to be like, can you talk to me about this? Have you started building it yet? Can I talk to you about how we're set up to deliver for you? Mm. Um, and that's where you can have those tough conversations. Say, look, I physically do not have capacity to deliver that. If that's what we want and that's the right thing for us, then I need X, Y, Z. Um, and I think one of the beneficial things about the last two years is that it's really put talent for you know talent and recruitment as forefront um, and really raised the bar in terms of the expectations um, and the importance of the function and I think then it comes to that agreement that we then have to live up to that right in terms of if you know we're being put on a pedestal now as such an important function which we always were but you know we're, we're getting the kudos mm -hmm. there we really have to live up live up to that and really start to empower that business partner mentality when it comes cool. to planning. And that makes a ton of sense and we'll come on to sort of building and enabling the team to to deliver that but i have a question just for the benefit of of the listeners and i think you and i have probably seen an over obsession around finalizing um a headcount plan and or a hiring plan or a workforce plan or, or whatever language the business uses and i think i picked up on an important an important piece at the beginning and correct me if i'm paraphrasing incorrectly but i guess as ta leaders we have to understand that there's no such thing as a final list. Um, mm -hmm. There needs to be a tolerance for uh, some movement either way, right? Things evolve. Yeah. Um, 
Is that fair to say, I guess, just for those folks who are perhaps are out there over-obsessing around their 2023 being a final, final list? Uh, <laughs> probably not going to yeah. be, is it? <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree with you. It never will be. And especially in the industry that you, and, you know, the scale-up and startup particularly, um, you're going to suffer from anxiety for a significant period of time if you're focusing on 100%. You know, take you can you can take a common sense approach to it, right? And, and especially if you, you've got clients that partner with you guys and you've gone through this a couple of times, is, you know, what are your high turnover roles in terms of what do you, what do you know we're going to be hiring regardless, right, of numbers and, and headcount? So your sales and your tech, what are those um, evergreen roles, as we put it? And then your one-offs will probably be changed more than anything else as, as the strategy changes and things might, you know, my goodness, look at the last sort of six months in terms of the market and how often people have probably had to change and, and redraw up plans. Mm. Um, but yeah, don't focus on 100%. If you get 80 to 90% and you can run with it, start running. Yeah, then that makes a ton of sense. And I think the other super, super important bit is, um, and I've uh, let's talk about mistakes. I've made this mistake before, right? I've gone function to function, <clears throat> got my list, merged the whole list together and say, cool, here's my big hiring plan. Um, that was a mistake um, because the piece that you mentioned, right, is being able to have conversations with those teams and challenging them. Right? Okay, cool. All of your roles are in Q1. Does that make sense? Do you know that these are the roles that are, you know, coming live in Q1 for this team? Don't we need to have built this before we can sell it? You know, should we move your roles back to Q2? Uh, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, definitely challenge. Definitely look at those interdependencies and and what the purpose of of those positions is um, don't do what Matt did once upon a time and stitch all the lists together, do what Charlotte did and uh, and challenge the business and make sure they know what, what other functions are trying to achieve. Yeah. In, in oh, goodness, well. no, one's, no one's perfect, right? I think especially when you're in a TA function, it's not your sole job to do this. There definitely is you know, responsibility at the executive board level to have responsibility for this. No, no, uh, no question. But sometimes the, the, the responsibility in a good way, uh, and the nuance of having such a wonderfully trusted role, like a HR business partner or a TA business partner, is you can start to ask those questions. And somebody sometimes, you know, I used to use the approach of coming to it from a, I'd like to learn, especially if you, you know, you're understanding the person you're dealing with or the person you're dealing with. It's coming to it from a question perspective. Like, instead of saying, hey, have you thought about it? It's more like, oh, tell me about, so how does that link into... You know, sort of ease them in and the light bulb starts to go on to go, oh, goodness, how could we can't really hire the sales team to sell the product if the product and tech team haven't built the product yet, has it? And it's just because I get it. Everybody's super excited. You've just, you want to scale. You want to reach amazing heights and you want to build the best department you possibly can. And you want to build the best company you possibly can. Yeah. But sometimes, um, you know, stopping and reflecting, taking, all, you know, some days out as an exec team or with support from TA and HR, you can build something that's much more meaningful. Awesome. Thank you for that. So now we have a plan. Um, we've locked and loaded it. We know it's probably going to change a bit. We think we've got it in the right order. A, then B, then C. Um, how do you tend to go about sort of forming the right team to, to enable that hiring success? Are there any specific sort of tactics or frameworks, think, thought processes that you have in, in particular that have worked well for you? And perhaps maybe some that, that haven't, if you're okay to share. Yeah, sure. Excellent segues, by the way. I'm, I'm loving this. It's a very smooth. You're making it very easy. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. So uh, let's start with the things that I probably didn't. I didn't do well. Um, this is going to sound really counterintuitive to start with, but you'll have to 
wait me out because I'm doing it in in the scope of again this startup scale up space mm. um, where things aren't things are ambiguous. There's a lot of grey. Um, so my feedback to that is: do not hire junior people or even mid level people straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, it will seem more expensive on your budget from a TA perspective, but hire senior experienced people. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean senior in terms of oh, I don't do recruitment anymore. I just do strategy, or I just you know I just sit in the back and now think and uh, guide you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm talking about hands on recruiters, but really experienced. They've they've been through the mill. It's such an English phrase, but they've they've been through it before a couple of times. They know the pitfalls. They know the behaviours. Um, of scale ups and startups because it is a different business behavior when you're dealing with with these executives and these sorts of roles um so we didn't make we haven't made too many that's probably one i learned very quickly is if uh you're hiring uh, junior people who need a lot of support and structure and that's no bad thing a, a, you know a high functioning TA team absolutely has to build that capability mm-hmm. in the long term but in the short term when you're first setting out don't do it I really would, um, unless you've got someone truly exceptional that you think can learn it quickly, um, it's a hard place to cut your teeth uh, if you're sort of entering the business. So that's probably one um, that I would definitely do. So invest in that. Um, another one that I always I always hear, and again, I learned this the hard way because I used to be the biggest, uh, no, I don't want to use a headhunter. No, we don't need an executive search. Um, don't want to use them. It's a waste, you know, it's so expensive. Um, and I've, you know, I'm, I've come around like, you know, if I use Molly as an example, Molly's agency usage was like under five percent, so it was so minimal. But the value from picking good partnerships with exec search firms can open up a huge network, not just for you, mm. but for the business leader that maybe, you know, maybe you've got uh, an exec member who's first to roll, and they've got a part of the business that under their purview that they don't have a huge amount of experience with. Yeah. And actually, where uh, a tailored uh, Deep, not deeply knowledgeable exec firm can actually add a tremendous amount of value even beyond just the hiring of that next great person um so again that's the lesson that i learned in time is they're not the enemy some of them are um but if you pick them well uh the value they can offer you in the in the partnership not only you but again that that business league can be so powerful uh, and it can open in terms of networks and other spaces as well so i think they're probably the two things um what else did I put in? I think they're probably the two, the two big things. Like, I, yeah, Molly, we've hired we hired a lot of very experienced recruiters, and you can really see the benefit. And I think only in the last sort of six months did we really start introducing um, more sort of media and, and junior team members because we started to Im, you know, impress that structure because we had the people that had you know, been there, done that, knew what could look like, and could build the processes and procedures and uh, take it off from there. And then um, the other one. Probably my last one that's probably akin to the business as well is process and structure is not a dirty are not dirty words. Um, you can get like you know I've worked in I trust me I've worked in businesses in, in my history where I have literally been like I can't work here I can't get anything done uh, because there's so much red tape and there's you know, there's, you know I've got to get eight thousand signatures to do, you know, get a 10 k sign off for a tool that's absolutely critical for us. Um, that's not what I mean. And I think this is where we have to be really mindful of you know, teaching businesses and educating businesses when it comes to TA. Uh, a, it is a process-oriented function, it, but it doesn't need to be constrictive or restrictive. Yep. Uh, that's probably the other the other thing that I've learned is I used to hate those words myself. So I'd be like, oh, my God, it likes, yeah, you want to be free. And, like, it's so cool to, like, build. You, know, you just want to hire talented people and just do your thing. And it's like, no, actually, that's, 
that's the quickest way to a complete mess. Um, but it's freedom within the framework, I think is the best way to put it. Makes sense. And in, uh, I was scribbling some notes down here, always a learning opportunity, but essentially kind of three key pillars here, right? Like people, partners and process um, yeah. which is, is super important. And we've all seen this when investing in, in building that <clears throat> TA team or TA structure to enable that hiring success there is a tendency sometimes to to gear towards the kind of the lower cost solution whether that be not using partners whether that be mid to, to junior level recruiters and I kind of wanted to touch on the, the the shape of recruiter a bit more um I have personally lots of conversations with people that hire in TA teams for the first time or people that are scaling their TA functions and try and take them on the journey that you've just explained to us in terms of being more senior not necessarily been there done that got this badge but being able to to navigate a broad range of of challenges as a recruiter which only comes through time and through experience is um is a huge success factor right um yeah. is there anything else that you'd add to why the senior recruiter in that founding team let's call it that from a ta perspective rather than the the sort of high potential sort of junior to mid level anything else should sort of add around that yeah i think and again this is i i don't i'm conscious i do not want to make generalizations here um because you can get this at every level but a more seasoned more experienced recruiter will typically have a much more business partner focus mm. and much more comfortable pushing back and challenging whereas again i don't want to try everybody with the same brush of, of charlotte at 22 charlotte at 22 just wanted to please the person who was her business lead by hiring everybody the person wanted as quickly as possible to the best of my ability um as opposed to doing the stop think is this sensible how you know how does this relate to the rest of the makeup of your team and um, what else is coming down the pipe that we need to be conscious of i heard from the business that we do you know so i think that comes with time some people are born with it and you absolutely could hire for it but i think the majority of people that is a learned behavior um yep. to really do the true business partner piece and that's what you need when to be frank, everyone's running around trying to do 8,000 things at the same time. The ability to say, okay, I think we need to take a breath. I don't think this is the right way forward. I think we actually need to wait. And these are the reasons, as opposed to saying, job in, hire done, boom, next. Um, which is not a bad trait, because you definitely need that once you're up and running. But um, I think for me, that's the key piece, is that business partner relationship. 100%. And I guess particularly as, and I'm not generalising here as well, <laughs> just for the record, but... The hiring community are great in their respective functions, but it may well be the first time they've had hiring responsibility, right? They yeah. may well be hungry yeah. to, to transact and get the people in, right? So, no, I completely agree. Kind of a, a more experienced sort of pair of hands can help sort of guide them through some of those trials and tribulations and, and help them avoid some of the uh, the common pitfalls, which ultimately yeah. makes the team team faster right so yeah exactly you definitely need somebody to arraign in you know the one exec that's read blitz scaling by reed hoffman and thinks <laughs> that uh they can shake <laughs> i can see for people that are just listening we're both laughing with knowledge um there's a couple of people on the planet that could probably do that well um but yes you know and we all get those and having an experienced person to say hey no let's do it this way let's you know, let's take a bit of both let's see how we can navigate this um yeah that's one of my pet hates when people mention that word i'm just like you know, i don't think you quite understand what's involved in that but okay 
No, it's a funny one. Moving on before we upset every hiring manager and passionate leader out there from a hiring point of view. But um, something else I know you're equally as passionate about um, is kind of employer brand um, and how you position that proposition to potential and current employees about who you are as an organization and, and why people should should join the mission, right? Um, and I know that you did a big piece of work on this in around uh, the redesign and relaunch of this uh, mm -hmm. at Molly. Um, I'd love to get a bit of the, the background thinking, right, in terms of what, what drove the business decision to work on this particular initiative? Because um, mm -hmm. I think there's a big distinction between someone wanting to do it for their CV and someone wanting to do it for the good of the business. Um, and, you know, when do you know the timing for this sort of project is right, you know, for a scaling company? Um, it's a bit, sorry, it's a big question with a few layers in there, but I think it's important. It's the sort of thing us recruiters want to do when we grow up, right? Like it's a happy brand, yeah, yeah. this to that. And, but I guess, yeah, differentiating between personal motivations to do a project like this and business motivations to do a project like this and what triggers there are in a business that say yes it's the time to to invest in something like this yeah okay yeah good question um so first off uh yes it's great to, it's a great experience it is really hard um mm. so people that haven't done it and think oh like it's just pictures and it's just a couple mm. of, it's so much more than that if it's done well mm. um and i'm not saying what we did at molly was perfect um but we we did partner with some experts on it as well because we wanted to do it in depth and properly and we wanted it to last for years mm. So first things first, EVP is not just employer brands. Um, it's also about that the concept of making it come to life internally, right? So mm. we could go out as recruiters and present the employer brand. Um, but if we're pitching Coca-Cola and they come in and it's Pepsi, well, you know, there's going to there's gonna be a problem, right? Mm -hmm. um, I love both. But, you know, if you sell one thing, you expect to, to get yeah. what you sell. Um, so it's it's about the whole the whole life cycle and it underpins everything strategically from a business in relation to its people. So it really is a huge strategic piece of work. Um, so for me, what one of the things? Well, there's a couple of things that triggered it. So what were the problems we were trying to solve at Molly? Mm. Um, I joined in November 2020 uh, at the peak, or just at as the peak of insanity was starting with. <laughs> I mean, it's always been hard in tech. It always has. But yeah. we, we, you know, we were entering that mode. You guys know it at Seed, where things just exploded. Yeah. And again, if you're a startup scale-up selling fast growth and interesting projects, you, you sound exactly like everybody else. Mm -hmm. um, so again, it's you, know, you, you sit in a room and everyone goes, why are you? But we're the best company to work for. We can offer this and this and this. I'm like, yeah, so does Miro. Miro's grown enormously and they're just down the road and they're offering, you know, so how do we differentiate ourselves from Miro? Yeah. Miro's a great organisation to work for, but the personality of working to Miro, I'm sure, is different than it is working to Molly. Yeah. How do we how do we pitch that? And to your point, you mentioned it earlier, right? Is It's not just about attraction, it's about repelling people that aren't right for your organisation. Yeah. So actually, that it, it does both those things. So it, it makes that promise to you as, as a candidate to say, okay, this is the experience that you will have. This is the unique personality in the DNA of Molly and how it would really benefit you if you're looking for this sort of organization. Mm -hmm. So again, it's articulating really understanding yourself well enough. And like it's like any person, right? When you go on a date, it's being self-aware enough to know, yeah. yeah, this is who I am. Um, I'm not gonna change. I wanna, you know, I always want to do better year on year and become a better person, but this is who, you know, 
I am who I am and this is what I love about myself and this is what I'm not great at and if you like that we can go on date two you know it's, it's a little bit like that um to put in you know put in layman's terms so that, that's what triggered it at Molly I think when you've got either hiring challenges or you've got growth or you've got um expansion across country it's a good time to start to look at it yeah. um that for me is probably some of the key trigger points because you also have to understand nuances of hiring in, and in different countries and the different, uh, you know, the different requirements that each country has. So the pitch that we make to people in the UK in central London, it's going to be very different, not very different, but nuanced to the pitch that we give candidates in Germany, for example, because you know, sometimes cross-culturally people are looking for slightly different things from an employer and we can't, we just need to dial up or dial down. Mm. those things it's not about misinformation but if some people you know in one country they're looking for something else because of market conditions we can dial up that element um for them and then we can dial up a different element for molly elsewhere yeah. um i could talk about this forever but uh <laughs> does that answer the question or is there any for what you're going to have to prompt me a little bit now so i'm going into no, the, 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 answer the question yeah we were looking to kind of figure out what the the business triggers might be to to say okay cool we need to focus on on yeah. this brand makes sense to me now Say we've identified these triggers. Um, we've put our, we're building our proposal as heads of, of TA or TA leaders, and we're going to whoever holds the budget. How are we telling these people um, that we're going to deliver a return on whatever budget they're going to give us for this? How, how do we sit down and say, if you give me this, I'm going to do this, and it's going to deliver you this? Because it's hard, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. It re- especially, again, especially when you've got, you know, one of the great things about having a diverse organisation is people think completely differently. But because people think think differently, you have to then prepare. How am I going to influence all these people to think completely differently? Yeah. Triggered by different words and different ways of working, right? So there were some people that totally got it, like understood why we were doing it, didn't understand the intricacies, but understood you know the, the premise in the same way that a marketer understands you know, uh, company brand, right, in terms of the, the brand promise and how we pull that through. So to some it was a no-brainer, and it was, like, absolutely on board, and um, whatever I can do to help, let me help. Um, probably the more numbers and figures side uh, were probably a little bit more, okay, explain to me what this actually means, like, long-term. And I think, it's, I don't want it to sound like a scapegoat, but usually the hiring, leading with the hiring, is the quickest way to get investments. Mm-hmm. I know it sounds awful, but... Uh, because recruitment is so easily construed into numbers, facts, and figures, yeah. it's the best way to make your case uh, in the initial, in the short term. In terms of short-term return on investment, uh, the TA pitch is the best one to do. Yeah. In terms of people, culture, retention, retention of high-performing talent, development of talent, mm-hmm. um, you know, to make sure you don't have a, a, a revolving door issue, um, that's where the sort of employee experience side of your EVP comes in. So that you know, that's going to be the return on investment in the long term. We will keep better people longer alongside hiring better people because we're offering a truer experience to people, which can lead into the better assessment processes and X, Y, Z. We will keep high-performing people for longer if they join excited about the experience of working at X organisation, or, or in this case, Molly, mm-hmm. and the experience of working at Molly continues for the entire duration of them working here. So why, why would they leave if they're getting all the things that they love about work in this place and they enjoy working there you know so it's a bit again it's a no-brainer but because that can be quite a long-term return on investments and sort of two three four five-year plans aren't always front of mind when you're going to start up or scale up <laughs> you 
tend to lean a little bit more heavily on the on the metrics and figures that a TA proposition can um, let you. That would be what I would probably lean in for, for the first bit. Uh, makes a ton of sense. And it is a long tail um, activity, right? Um, it's very difficult to quantify. Hey, in three years' time, when that high-performing individual leaves our organisation for justifiable reasons, and they're still continuing to recommend their friends, and we're still making hires yeah. off the back of that, um, is a reality, right? But yeah, one that you, you have to show a, a slightly different uh, perspective on. But that's brilliant. Thank you. So let's dive into a few broader topics that I'd love to get your your thoughts on. Um, I hate talking about this stuff at the moment, but it's very topical. But the changing economy, um, I guess, is throwing up many challenges um, for businesses and their people. Um, it's not something we can avoid. Um, it's very topical right now. We all have the television news conducting businesses um, and talent leaders undoubtedly play a sort of a critical role in in helping organisations navigate these sort of um, choppy waters. Um, and I don't think we're we're fully through them yet or, or even into the choppiest, if I'm being completely honest. But for those looking ahead, um, what would you be prioritising from a talent and people perspective kind of right now with this in mind and, and why? God, that's such a big question. Um, There's a a number of things that have been floating around in my head recently. And, you know, one of the things I love about LinkedIn is it's such a, you know, it can be a resource for a lot of rubbish that people post on there, but also some really interesting insights and interesting trends in the market as well, right? You know, know, we're seeing trends of um, jade people suffering at, at the hands of the economy stuff. But actually, for me, that then triggers the conversation of, in, in a diverse company, we've got lots of different roles. You've got sales roles, you've got people roles, you've got project management roles. Was there no opportunity to absorb, reabsorb uh, some of that talent into other roles for a defined or short period of time? Um, that's always one. So for me, it's, you know, are we thinking imaginatively enough of what companies can do? So I'm not saying this is a perfect answer. It's a lot of responsibility to, it's very easy for me to sit back as a, as a one-man band and say, hey, I think you should do this. But <laughs> If, if organizations because it will come around again we know it will and you know whatever time that may be it will be back on again um probably harder than ever uh, to hire people and attract people um but are we you know are organizations thinking laterally enough and creatively enough about retaining good people um in the long term and you know is you know and some companies absolutely are and they're doing amazing work um and being transparent about it and there are some really big companies out there that i'm sure probably aren't and it's a purely commercial decision as opposed to a talent one so I think that's interesting I think retention is going to be a big one but I think above all is about how can the TA team uh, chameleon themselves so again oftentimes especially in large organizations they're very externally focused mm-hmm. but how can we shift that to you know I'm always surprised that uh, t- uh, talent acquisition don't get more involved in talent development and succession planning and more internal mobility, right? Because the skill set picking great talent is exactly, you know, you're still trying to identify great talent internally. So I always find it interesting that there, you know, there's again more lines of demarcation between all these departments. So how can we broaden up maybe the scope of um, talent acquisition to also include talent, uh, internal talent mobility, um, especially in the large organizations? You see great organizations having an internal headhunting team to a certain extent where they, you know, they pick out great talent and move them into roles internally. And how can we help and how can we broaden up the TA role to do that more? I think is super interesting. Um, 
And the same thing with COVID uh, that happened with COVID is everybody's watching to see how organisations behave during this time. And I think, I've again, I don't like mentioning things, but there's letters of offers being rescinded that have got onto LinkedIn from really reputable organisations that I really respect. And you never know the full story, um, but there's always an element of we really have to think hard about how we are going to navigate this marketplace especially in uh, this world where anything you do and say could be posted online within three seconds. That shouldn't be the reason why you do it. The reason you should do it would be back to, you know, those core, you know, those people yeah. who really want to do white vibe. <clears throat> um, but I think that's going to be a really big thing. So I think how we navigate and how we look after our employees over the next sort of 12 to 18 months is going to, exactly like COVID, will come back to bite us if we don't do it in the right way or the honest way. Yeah, and I think, I think it should be a top interview question for anybody, right? You know, please talk me yeah. through how the impact that COVID or um, said economic events had on your business, you know, what was yeah. the impact of that? How did you handle that? And I think you'll get some um, some telling answers. There are organisations, obviously, that can't afford to. There are organisations yeah. that can. But, yeah, there's some really interesting things that you can do when uh, I refer to it as like putting up the drawbridge. You know, when you when you pulled up the drawbridge and you're not doing the the hiring perspective, there's a ton of things that can be done in the castle keep yeah. to uh, to to rebuild, <laughs> ready for, yeah. for the next tackle, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And touching on something that you you mentioned a minute ago, um, you shared by I think talent a concept um, of companies sort of evolving from offering kind of like the traditional career ladder to more of a career portfolio. Um, so instead of that sort of quite linear growth, I yeah. suppose offering employees diverse challenges and experiences, um, yeah, as part of that career portfolio. So a couple of questions on that, if we can jump straight into it. So why do you think that's sort of important now um, from, I guess, an employer-employee perspective? And how can people leaders facilitate this better? and put measures in place to ensure that, you know, whilst doing so, the individuals and teams can hit their yeah. goals, as well as providing that great breadth of, of experience for everybody. Yeah. yeah, it's a really good question. So it sounds strange, but this has always been sort of bubbling in the back of my mind. I had a really interesting conversation, maybe like five years ago. Um, I was sort of working as a proxy business partner uh, to, for those that live in London, for um, uh, the building 22 Bishopsgate, which is... Uh, mm big skyscraper in central London so I were I was a VP to the project director that was responsible for building it and we had a conversation once and he was like I'm really stuck with succession planning and I was like what's the problem he's like we pay well nobody wants my job nobody wants the responsibility of my job um because everyone is earning earning well they've got relatively good life balance they're in a job that they enjoy they're learning loads they have no ambition or motivation to have the additional responsibility of being end responsible. So I'm a bit, I'm, a, I'm stuck as to how I'm going to do the succession planning internally without having to buy the resource mm. outside coming in. How do you know? So that for me was so interesting because it's like one, there's a different problem at stake there, but that definitely makes sense to me. Um, you know, again, I'm pretty happy with what I do now. I wouldn't really want to go any further because I also wouldn't want to be a CHRO. I think it's an incredibly hard job. Mm. Um, and you get so much stuff thrown at you, some of it really technical and legal, which is the last thing that I'd be interested in looking after. But um, 
you just pick people that do it. But it's hard, right? You know, how do you how do you motivate people? So in turn, if they don't want the upward mobility, how long do you have them before they get bored and want to leave? Because their brain isn't being um engaged enough and they're not learning, they've stopped learning maybe after two, three years of doing the same role on the on the same mm-hmm. job. So that for me is always triggered that, okay, well, how can we keep people? And it actually, you, know, and you hear this term quiet quitting at the moment, which is flying everywhere. But that's sort of a solution to those sorts of things, right? In the same way that as I speak to a lot of people, um, no, I don't want to do the next level up. I'm quite happy where I am. Um, I can, you know, I can have the life that I want. Um, I can afford the lifestyle that I want. Why would I want anything else? Because uh, they've sort of reached that point. So again, it's that point of how do we, you know, benefit by retaining this great talent because actually those resources and that knowledge we don't want to lose so actually can they help uh, laterally across the business as opposed to vertically and can we offer that scope so I think that's one thing um, mm. especially with the market conditions right now there's a lot of people um, like sales and other, sales is another one that's highly affected at the moment mm. is how can that skill set be put to different use in an organization like again if I was going to speak super bluntly I think if we're really thinking hard about this we don't we've never had a war on talent we've had a shortage of imagination um of what we can do with great people i'm not saying i know the answer but when you look at it and you see the amount of people on the planet you're like we're just going for the path of least resistance by hiring one person that's done x into a role that just does x you know so i think that if we really thought about it the best organizations out there are people with great leaders uh who can have the opportunity and take the risk say Hmm. yes this person won't have potentially, because I may be completely wrong, the same output as someone that's done it for five years, but the basic skills are there. And I think that's where um, we get back to that concept around uh, what is a, what, what, what career architecture do you have? How do you measure competencies? What competencies do these... So again, another piece that startups and scale-ups don't like talking about because it seems like too processy is having a proper career architecture and proper content within that. So you can actually look at a TABP and go, okay, well, these are the competencies and that actually cross matches relatively closely to an XYZ. So how can we help fill the gap on those two competencies that they've probably never done before? Mm-hmm. So if there's 70% there, let's, let's, let's take that risk and let's make that investment and we'll, we'll see what happens. Again, it's, it's a simple answer. It's very easy for me to say sitting here, but I think that's probably going to be the future because I think a lot of people don't want these top jobs anymore and actually they prefer to stay somewhere for the culture but then how can we constantly keep um stimulating their brain and helping them stimulate the business yeah i think it's a it's a really interesting point and a previous guest we had on was talking about the shift in <clears throat> i suppose i don't know, recall how many years i've been working now but it's certainly different uh, the employer employee relationship right like it's far more fluid like you said where you were with molly you had five other amazing organizations within walking distance from from your business right so what is it that's going to keep those people in your organization and and challenged right and because if they're not getting the challenge then they can quite easily walk to another awesome company and do do the challenge that's going to keep them engaged right so yeah and i think it's a it's a massive massive topic and probably one we can dive into in in more detail um, on a on another another show, um, but <clears throat> a couple of closing questions um, as I think we're we're close to time, sadly. But is there anything that you've consistently seen many startups or scale ups 
get wrong um, that, in your opinion, costs them greatly? Oh, I'm going to answer this one too. But I'll let you go. Oh, oh, oh no. Are you ready? Well, I think we, we hit on a couple of them. Mm. Um, is treating process and structure like a dirty word? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's really short sighted. I think that's, um, I think you're reading too much into the word, right? As opposed to how do you apply it? Yep. That's a big one. Um, that's probably the one that sticks out most. I'm, I'm, I'm distracted because I'm intrigued as to what you're going to say now. Um, I'm gonna, yeah, that's I'm, really good from my perspective. What, what, what's obviously you've got a light bulb go off. What's, what's the? No, view? I'm going to give one me as the startup that made the mistakes um, to be balanced. So, and it's, I guess it's agreeing and relating to what you said around process. I used to call it the P word. Um, and it's true um, that to a point you don't need it but you don't get a warning that hey you're going to need it soon you're going to need it soon you You get I don't need it and then oh shit I needed it Um, like that Um, and this sort of links into what I see in other organizations so I tried to resist process for for a long time and I think really started to feel it 20 to 50 um and if you don't have it 50 to 100 you're in a whole world of mess um and then beyond that is is a completely different story and i think linked to that and it's the p word and it's linked with the talent attraction piece if i go to those very early stage organizations and we talk about like we did previously that sort of long tail of investments Mm. i'm an early stage organization and less than 50 people so the focus is very much on i just need to make these next 10 hires i just need to make these 10 hires and that's true. Those those next ten hires are kind of super critical to the future success of of the organisation. But I see time and time again that that is the time to start putting in my first everything, my first recruitment system, my first dashboard, my first process that I will measure with my first dashboard. You know, my first cadence of ongoing improvement. And I know they're not important then, but when you hit Series B and you've got probably a kind of more mature and dare I say uh, demanding um, investor base and, and board yeah. um, you're going to be operationally slow um, so I always encourage people on that p word um, it's okay embrace it because you don't need it you don't need it oh damn I really needed it yeah, um, yeah, yeah. is the way it goes and it costs you time I've heard people call it kind of people debt operational debt many different ways but like it is debt and it slows you down and it's so easily solvable. Yeah. And it doesn't and it doesn't need to be restrictive. I think that's the thing. No. People think of the word and think, oh, slow. And it's like, no, a good clean process can actually make so many more things so much quicker and more efficient. And that's that's the design of it, isn't it? That it makes us more effective. It gives us the yeah. opportunity to report, track, optimize. Mm-hmm. Ironically, in the same way, and we work in the same space. Ironically, in the same way that someone will build a product, right? And I'm very passionate about recruiting and t- people and talent being a product of the organization. Mm-hmm. No one makes any software without tracking or measuring it or iterating or, or you know, all of that type of good stuff. So it's basically relaying very similar principles to building a product, um, mm-hmm. to, to building a people and talent function, because it is the most important, very biased um, product in, in your organization, right? So... Before I go off on a crazy one, um, tangent-wise, uh, let's go on a bit more of a, a light-hearted note. So, 
Um, you can invite three people, either from the present or from the past, to a dinner party. Who would they be and why? Well, there has to be champagne at dinner party because that's going to mean the best stories because, you know, after a couple, everybody's got much better tales. <laughs> um, David Attenborough would be top of my list. because <laughs> I think I think he's probably the most popular dinner party guest on earth. Yes. Yeah, I think he's on everyone's list, so I'm going to have to go with the crowd on that one because I just think he's amazing. Um, Clark Gable, because I think he is the epitome of what every man should be and look like. <laughs> and then Elizabeth I, I think she'd be great fun at dinner. I hear you. And I, I was going with Henry VIII, but he's a bit too violent, so I thought I'd just go with Elizabeth High risk, high risk versus <laughs> reward on that one. <laughs> What about you? I, I, I would imagine David Attenborough is, is up there on most people's. He'll definitely be on mine. Um, I'd have to add Denzel, Denzel Washington, to the party as well. Ah, yeah, he's a dude. Probably less dangerous than Henry VIII. But cool. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> and um, almost finally, is there kind of a, a value or a thought or a phrase or a, a thing that you sort of tend to to live by and hold dear to you a kind of a, a mantra so to speak don't be a dick is probably a good one um <laughs> and uh just have like life is short like enjoy it like don't take yourself too seriously like you know we work with some very serious people sometimes and we've all been there and you think it's a hard day when you have to work with people that take themselves too seriously it's much more fun if you can have fun absolutely agree and um, now that you've started your own organisation, Charlotte, how can people kind of reach you um, if they're interested in um, hearing about how you can help them achieve uh, people and talent success? Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, I'm on LinkedIn. I do talks like this all the time. But yeah, just reach out to me so we can have a chat. I mean, I think more often, you know, organisations like this and what you're, you're doing with these podcasts is really about sharing information. So I also know that maybe not everybody will be in a position to be able to partner with me on them, you know, giving them support. But I'm also here just to talk about stuff, right? That's the best thing is having the time yeah. to network and build relationships and give advice. Um, I'm sort of proxy uh, coaching a couple of other heads of TA in different organisations at the moment, which I also love, right? Because it can be mm. a lonely time to initiate a scaling organisation with, because you know you are sort of number one uh, spotlight uh, alongside a couple of other key people in that organisation for that defined period of time. So it can be quite a difficult place. Um, but yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn, so feel free to reach out. 